and welcome to the Win Daily PGA live stream. This is weird, Joel. It's just me and you. Where's Michael? Uh, I guess he has a previous engagement. I'm not too happy about it, but me and Joel are going to be co-hosting today. And I got to tell you, Joel, I was just going to lead with, hey, what do you think about this course, the Players' Championship? This is going to be really, to me, this is going to be like an amazing DFS opportunity. I think a lot of people have different opinions about this particular tournament in terms of being able to peg golfers, but forget about that. I want to talk about the bet you made on Thursday at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Before the show even starts, it's so incredibly unbelievable. I actually had to see the ticket to believe it. Uh, can you just tell the audience what happened last Thursday? Yeah, so I would say, uh, as you know, like we're playing showdown. So every round, um, you know, we're, we're, in, we're in the action. So I usually do for every round I'm at least playing showdown or I'm involved. I usually put in a bet because I'm you know getting uh, a parlay bet where I'm taking the matchups right, based on guys that I like for that slate. I lose every time. I usually bet you know twenty twenty five bucks. Uh, but what I what I've noticed is that I'm getting closer. Right. So last couple of weeks I've hit like seven or eight of my ten eleven legs, and so like, right, I'm pretty close. I'm pretty close. So put it in this week, and so the the bet was twenty six dollars eleven legs, and it was to win three hundred thousand. Uh, I didn't end up winning 300000 so what happens is if a golfer is push, you don't get that leg of the bet. So I ended up having actually three golfers push. So it was, ended up becoming an eight-leg parlay, so it ended up being $26 to win 39000 uh, And it was actually – it was electric. So like in terms of watching it, uh, I go, going into 17, M it was against Bradley. That was the matchup I had. I had M, and M was down a stroke. So with only two holes to go, it wasn't looking good to make up a stroke in two holes. And on 17, Bradley bogeys. I'm like, okay, well, now we're tied. And then M uh, hits a terrible approach shot into the sand. And I'm like, oh, wait, there it goes. I'm going to lose again. And he sinks like a 15-footer to still have the hole. And then that gets me the W for my 39K. So I was, I was pretty ecstatic about that. So, okay, just to be clear here, was it head-to-head -head matchups that you are were, – were those the leg of your parlays or was it like kind of group betting that you were doing? So I, I do group betting. So it's interesting. So the I did the group bet, and they had the offers for every round every day on DraftKings. Since I won, and I can't actually claim it's because of me. Since I've won, DraftKings has not offered another group bet. <laughs> and I was looking for it. I'm like, I, I group bet every time. And like, because that's how you get the good odds, right? You get the extended 15, 20, 20 points, but on a parlay, that adds up. And that's how you get the big juice. So if you're just doing matchups, it's hard to get that big of a payout. And so they, I haven't seen it since. So I hope it comes back for this week for the players, but I still haven't seen it on their site. Yeah, Joel, that's not a coincidence. I'm telling you. <laughs> that, 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 your, your payout got red flagged, and then they went into what, whatever the internal you know, controls are, and they're like, yeah, we, we can't have this type of payout. It's, that's, that's amazing. Congratulations. It's Thank funny. You. Like, you're coming off a week where you won 50000 in Showdown. We know how much you've won in Showdown and just in, in regular DraftKings Golf and DraftKings NBA. Just in the last, like, two or three months, I mean, the numbers are, like, staggering. We don't need to go over them again. But believe me when I tell you, they are so ridiculous. It's, it's literally life-changing money. I mean, if you think 39000 is life-changing money, uh, it, it is, of course. But, like, Joel, you are knocking it out of the park. I'll tell you what. I came close to 50000 I was in the $200 single entry, uh, the big one, the one with 1100 There's two of them that they usually offer. I was in both. Um, and actually, I had six for six in both, which was awesome. But the uh, the other six for six barely cashed. It did cash, fortunately. But, you know, I had I had everybody you needed except Bryson DeChambeau, 
and I ended up finishing 20th place out of 1100. Not bad. Good. But, you know, I was, you know, I was probably, you know, 10 or 12 places from like that money. That's like that the, the master's money that I won where I came in second place. And in, in I think the hundred dollar single entry and I came in, you know, I probably I think I had about 10,000 just from the masters alone in DFS. So I'm looking for that kind of money, Joel. You find it pretty much every other weekend. So speaking of we're here at the players. We got a huge field here. It's just absolutely loaded. The only guys we don't have are, I guess, Brooks Kepka and, of course, Tiger Woods and Matt Wolf, if you want to count. And him. before we transition too much into the tournament, I do want to touch on one thing. For you know, and we do this show weekly, but we all play weekly. Uh, one thing that's really important to think about, and when you're building lines, obviously you want to win the tournament, you want to get first place, and you're trying to pick that way. But another thing to think about, like Sia just mentioned, he gets six of six quite often. Um, you know, this week he didn't have Bryson, so he couldn't really, you're not going to win without the winner. Um, but he did pretty well. If you can consistently cash, right, it's going to make playing this a lot better. You're, you know, it's not, yeah, one day you want to win the, the big 50K, and that's obviously the point. But it's going to be a lot harder to do that if you're losing and losing and losing weekly because you can't keep playing if you're just a constant loser. So if you can get six out of six, cash, 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 then the week where you finally hit and hit the 50K, like you can keep putting your shots out there to do so. So that's the biggest thing. Think about that when you're playing weekly. Like, yeah, you want to take some of your GPP shots, but as long as you're getting your six of the six and cashing week to week, you know, that's the important thing to be able to keep the train moving. Yeah, and I actually encourage people to try some of the double ups. I think people think of a lot of people think of golf as and, and Joel, I know you kind of lean just towards GPPs with golf, but if you find those double up tournaments, especially the ones that have a, a like a pretty big field, whether it's you know two hundred or some some of them are a thousand or fifteen hundred, like those are really good tournaments to enter because again, you you don't even necessarily need your six for six, maybe five out of six caches, but those are a really good way to sustain your bankroll. I'll tell you what what Win Daily is really good about is sometimes. Sometimes we'll put out podcasts like there was a there was a guy in the chat that was asking about the podcast that you did, Joel, with Michael, where you were actually explaining your showdown process and like stuff like that. We're really good at doing. We have articles on the on the site, windailysports.com, about sustaining your bankroll, about not throwing all your money in GPPs, not not playing the big GPPs where you're not max entering them. Like that's really important because if there's 150 max entry and you're putting in two lineups, well, that's okay if that's like 10% of your bankroll. It's definitely not okay if it's like 30% of your bankroll or 40% of your bankroll or anything bigger than that. So don't look at the big number at the end, the guarantee necessarily. Look at you know what the max entry is. And if if it's single entry or three max, that's kind of what I recommend. Unless you're you're doing, you know, you know what Joel does a lot, which is which is max entering these tournaments, which is a it's a great idea. It's a great thing if you have the bankroll and you have the time and the expertise to do it. But you know, most people don't do that. So, and I'll add that I do sit there for every tournament that I enter, and I and I do I calculate the math, and I say if I enter this many lineups, this is what I can win. Is it worth my risk to enter this many lineups based on the payout? Some weeks it's not. Some weeks it is. That's a, that's an exercise I do before I do it, and that's something we should all be doing, right? Like before you enter a tournament, don't just enter it because you like the fact that it says you can make fifty thousand. Enter it because. The, the ratio is good, right? The amount of lineups that you can enter versus how many people are in it makes sense that it's worth you you going into there and, and competing. So turning our attention to the Players' Championship. So one thing I, I, that, you know, I, I did the show, I, I'm doing the first cut with Rick Gaiman and Greg Ducharme on Mondays. And that's that's a fantastic show. I encourage everybody to watch that just to kind of lead your week off, to be honest with you. I think it's a great because we talk about DFS. We're usually kind of first to market or at least one of the first ones to market in terms of talking up players and, and getting that going. And I'll tell you, Joel, one thing 
that I sort of gleaned from that show that I'm really kind of questioning is this elite range here, which of course DraftKings pricing 10K and above, and that 8K range is just, I'm very confused by it. You know, when I did my initial picks write up, which I which I published on the site, again, windailysports.com earlier today, I literally didn't have any 8K guys in there. And usually I like to pick off a couple from each tier, but I was like, you know what? I'm not going to force it with my initial picks article. I'm going to jump on the show with Joel. We're going to talk it through. I'm going to, you know, use our, the resources that Windaily has, you know, has in, in, you know, as the week progresses. I'll have a couple guys in the AK range, maybe a Matthew Fitzpatrick, maybe a Terrell Hatton. But I'll tell you what, this top range is a little is a little befuddling to me too because the 9K range is so rich, and everybody looks at that 9K range, they're like, wow, their eyes are popping. So. I'm not going to say it's contrarian to to go up here in this elite range. Of course it's not. People will be all over this range. But I'm just curious as to who you like in this range because there's one guy in particular that I like, but I'm not even sure that's the right answer here. So tell me, start it off for us. Well, I think what's interesting about this week is there's so much value, even in like the 7,000 range, that you can be really creative in how you want to build your lives. Obviously, you're not going to jam in ROM, Shoffley and DJ. No, you can't do that. But the point is, there's not a huge delta between Shoffley and Morikawa, right? Um, and there's, you know, a, a, a price difference. Um, you know, even going down a little bit further into, you know, Finau, right? Finau is playing as good as anyone in the world. And to say, like, there's a, you definitely want to play Rom over Finau, it's kind of a coin flip to me. Now, that doesn't mean that Rom can't go out there and win this tournament. He absolutely can. He's one of the best golfers in the world. But there's a lot of ways looking at this slate where we can get interesting on how we build and saying that, you know, I feel playing this DFS slate, getting Fino out there over Rom is something I'm going to do because of how it constructs my lineups, right? Because Fino just, I mean, because Rom just costs a lot more and Fino's playing great and I can save $1,000, not have to use anyone in the 6K range, build a well rounded lineup. And then, you know, if Rom goes out and wins, this won't be the week for me, but that's okay. Right? That's, the, that's the thought process of how we're going to have to build this week. Yeah. And I think to your point, the I don't know if I want to include Patrick Reed in this discussion. I probably should. But if you go from Patrick Reed up to Dustin Johnson, I mean, you're really splitting hairs in this tournament between the 9K range and the 11K range more than you ever have. Because to your point, you know, I can make an argument for Tony Finau. If you just look at his metrics, if you just look at the last 12 rounds, last 24 rounds on approach, I mean, Tony Finau's knocking it out of the ballpark. You look at him off the tee, he's killing it there too. He's obviously come in second a couple of times here and probably should have come in first one of these times. Patrick Cantlay is a super popular guy this week for whatever reason. He's not necessarily super popular for me, but he's popping in in such a way that, listen, Patrick Cantlay, Victor Hoblin, Colin Morikawa, all these guys can be sort of... I wouldn't blink if they were in the Justin Thomas or that Brooks Kepka range. I know Brooks isn't in the tournament, but if they were in that 9,900, 10,100 range, no problem. So I think you should kind of look at the this elite range and this 9K range almost as one range as opposed to just breaking it off in tiers. So, but but to, but 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 let's just start with the top four. Joel, is is there one of these four that you're or two of these four that you're really focusing on? So the interesting thing about this, this top range, especially, is because this tournament's so deep for lack of a better term, the ownership level of some of these guys is going to be way lower than we would normally anticipate, right? You're not normally going to get DJ, Rom, Thomas at around 10%, right? They're typically going into a tournament 20 or 30% owned. So if you love one of these guys this week and you want to hammer one of them, like if you want to take a stance on one, this is the best week to do it. And in fairness, there is a reason for it, right? Because there's a lot more competition at the top. Um, but 
that's kind of my now the elite range is a way to be different, which is a weird kind of thing to wrap your head around. With that being said, Dustin Johnson, it was what? I I, still hours ago, we were comparing him to Prime Tiger on the show. <laughs> hours, true. right? Like, and, and, you know, what happens? He has a bad weekend, not even a whole bad round, a bad weekend. And now everyone's kind of, it almost feels like I haven't heard anyone talk about him at all this week. And so I'm looking at that as give me a guy who's probably still the best golfer in the world. Yes, his price is very high, but he's the best golfer in the world who's also, if you look at his course history here, has been improving each year over the last five years. He's been getting better and better and better. Uh, I think this is a spot where it's the perfect time where people are starting to fall asleep on Dustin just a little bit, where we can get the best golfer in the world, a little bit better ownership. I I love him. So he's probably the only guy I'm going to be targeting a lot up here in the the top range for that reason. Other than that, I just think between Rory, Rom, Shoffley, the other guys we can kind of are not much different in value, and and the savings are what we're going to need to build out well-rounded lineups. Yeah, I, it's funny about DJ because before the first cut yesterday, we were talking about DJ and I was like, you know what? You know, it's 54th place finish, you know, last time out. He didn't seem very comfortable with the driver throughout the tournament. And and then, you know, somebody made an argument on the other side. And it's like, yeah, that's one tournament. Like Dustin Johnson, of all people, he pretty much forgot what he did yesterday, let alone two weeks ago, you know, at, at the uh, WGC. So, like, he's he's the guy that can shoot an 80 and go out and win the ne- a tournament the next week or, or two weeks later, which, by the way, he did. So, yeah, I, I actually like DJ. And you're right, you're getting a slight discount on his ownership because he's sort of been out of mind just a little bit. And, and we, we you know, we have recency bias. So I, I will have a little bit of DJ. The only other guy I like here is John Rahm. I just think, first of all, John Rahm was really, you know, he finished 12th last year, but or 2019, I should say. But he was really competing, and he's such a good ball striker. His metrics sort of jump off the page to me, too, off the tee, on approach. Um, you know, his putter has been a little bit off, but that's not that's not the typical for uh, John Rahm. So, yeah, I like those two quite a bit. I don't think I'm really going to be on Xander or Rory. I'll tell you what, though, uh, the 9K range, I'm going to be starting a lot of lineups in that 9K range, but to your point... I think it's a decent opportunity relative to other other weeks to take a guy like DJ. For sure. For sure. And uh, listen, anyone, you know, I don't want to say I'm not talking you off anyone in this range. Right. My point is, it's how you're going to build your lines. If you like Rom, if you like Shoffley, if you like Matt Rory, they're all fine plays. They're all great golfers. You know, we in DFS, you can't play everybody. Right. You got to take a stance before a week and make your plays. And so for that reason, for, for roster building construction purposes, not golf purposes, I'm the only guy in this range I'm really targeting is DJ. So before we get to the 9K range, which we'll, we'll have a lot of, a lot to talk about, Scott has this question, and I've actually kind of noticed this question, um, especially, you know, we, you know, I don't know how everybody does their prep. I do, you know, I'm looking at models, I'm listening to podcasts, I'm, I'm kind of just kind of doing it all, looking at DraftKings and tournament history and you name it. I hear a lot from a lot of different podcasts, Joel, about, hey, you know, just throw, throw you know, throw all the stats, you know, just throw them away, like throw, throw, throw the papers in the air. This is one of those tournaments where you just can't lean on anything. And I just kind of feel like that's a cop out. Like, I understand that various people, various types of golfers, talented and, and not so talented, can win this particular tournament. But I just, again, I, I just feel like... <sighs> 
the reason it's such a packed field and you have guys in the 7k range that can win this tournament like you, you got and we'll talk about it in the high 7k range in particular you got guys that can win this tournament you got guys in the low seven or the high 6k range that, that have been pushed down like emiliano grio who i like has been pushed down to like 6700 and he's normally like a 7400 so like you get all these guys sort of pushed down and it makes it look like you know on sunday afternoon it makes it look like well if if so, if DJ's up there, but then you got a, a bunch of guys in the 8K and 7K range. Like, what if Abraham Answer is up there? What if Emiliano Grio is up there? You know, the, these are guys in this mid seven and, and high 6K range. Joaquin Neiman, like, they can all be there. So, I mean, I understand that the notion that like, oh, it's just a crapshoot because you know who, who knows who's going to be there on Sunday, but. You know, this is sort of like why we're going through this experience. This is sort of why we're doing the podcast and we're, we're putting all this work in because there are things to measure, whether it be recent form or course history or stroke gain metrics. So, again, I, I think it's a fair question, Scott, because at the end of the day, that's kind of what everybody is saying. But I, again, I think it's a cop out. I mean, we'll see what the results are, but I, I genuinely think it's a cop out. I agree with you. And I think I don't mean I'm not taking a shot at anyone by saying this, but I think you're right. I think it's the mentality of someone who's not winning right? I lose, I lose, I lose. Let me just say that this is just a random thing. And you can just pick anyone random because I keep losing. And that's just not going to get you anywhere. I will say this tournament is different. So that is something I will say. You don't want to look at it the exact same way you look at other tournaments. And so that I'll agree with. And so one of the things is for me personally, what I'm doing differently is, and as I'm very open about, I overweight typically course history, where I want to find guys who um, have succeeded on the course previously. And one thing I've learned kind of doing my prep for, for this week is, while there is a course history for a lot of these guys to find, it's, it is scattered in that there's guys who have won and missed the cut in consecutive you know, years. So it's hard to really go too hard in the course history because you're not going to see too much of guys consistently getting top tens, right? If you could see that, then there would be something there, but that you don't have. So I'm actually weighting my course history way down less this week than I normally do. And I've come way up on recent form because what we have seen is every year, except for Webb Simpson, the winner of this tournament has been crushing the field on ball striking. And we want to find guys who are most likely to be able to repeat that, right? So who's striking the ball well now? Who's in the best form? And I think those are the guys that are going to rise above the crop and, and find success this week uh, at Sawgrass. Yeah, and I and I agree. And with that said, I mean, there's a lot of guys that you can you can fit in the 9K range. It, it's going to be hard not to cover all of these guys. I'm going to cover. I think there's some interesting plays here, but we'll we'll see if they come up just in the in the in the course of us talking about this range. I'll tell you the guys that I liked right off the bat and and that I still like. Webb Simpson, who by the way, you know, to to your point about recent form, sixth at the WGC after really a long break. His his last tournament before that was the Waste Management, which was you know about over I think a, maybe a month before. So when he came into the WGC, I was kind of off him because I was like I don't know maybe it's he's a little rusty. It's it's been a little bit, and he performed admirably. So I, and he's a great course fit here in my opinion, and his history here is very good. Sixteenth, first, and sixteenth the last three years. So Webb Simpson really jumped out at me. Colin Morikawa jumped out at me. I, I, I don't want to say he was mispriced because it is a talent-laden field, but you're talking about recent form. Listen, Colin Morikawa is great. And by the way, round one last year was actually played. We know about Hideki Matsuyama, how he just shot the lights out. But Colin Morikawa really, really played well. He was sixth or seventh. I think he was tied for seventh at the time that, that the tournament ended, which was after round one. So he does have, I guess, some experience with this course, and that experience is pretty good. So that was the other guy I liked. And Victor Hovland, I think, is really interesting because he performed so poorly on the weekend. And you couple that 
with the fact that people have been on Victor Hovland for like three, four weeks in a row. And, and what I deemed yesterday was kind of like Hovland fatigue. You know, I'm not saying people just don't want to use Hovland, but when you have all these guys around Victor Hovland and you've been using Victor Hovland for three or four weeks in a row and Victor Hovland let you down on Saturday and Sunday, your likely move is to pivot to a Patrick Cantley. Your likely move is to pivot to a Tony Finau, a Colin Morikawa, a Bryson DeChambeau, or a Justin Thomas. So I think you're going to get a sort of ownership discount on Victor Hovland. So for me, those are the three guys I like the most. After some research, I got to tell you, I, I keep ignoring this guy. He's just really hard to ignore at this point. Tony Finau. I mean, whatever model you create, last 12 rounds, last 24 rounds, you, you, you want to go by approach. You want to go by, you know, certain distances on approach. You want to go by gained fairways gained off the tee, whatever it is. Tony Finau is going to be up there. He is just striking the ball so well. His short game has been very good. He's putting it well at times. I, I don't know how you get away from Tony Finau. So I, I would say those are the four guys I like the most. Joel, where are you at on the 9K range? I'm with you in that this is the range that I'm most heavily targeting. Um, I think this is the how we're going to – I think one of the winners, in my opinion, is probably going to come out of this range. Um, so I, I wanna, I'll want start off by saying I'm, I'm on board with all the guys you mentioned. Simpson, Morikawa, Hovland, Finau, I love. Um, don't love Bryson this week. This is not for like because of golf reasons. It's just one of those things where it's like, is there a bit of a hangover? He just won a big tournament. Two, this course maybe isn't the best fit for his game, right? I think you want to target guys that are a little bit more accurate, whereas I'm not sure we're just bombing it. It's not that long of a course. It's going to be that beneficial for him. So I just, it's a course fit thing. And like I said, you have to fade some guys because – Otherwise, there's just too many names to put out there. Um, but I really like Justin Thomas. So one thing I saw this week kind of starting my research is Justin Thomas over the – I don't remember how many seasons it was. Over the last maybe four or five years has the most birdies on this course of any golfer who's played it. Now, that's also a volume thing. I get it. So, like, obviously, Morikawa wouldn't qualify. He hasn't played as many rounds. Um, but, like, scoring for DFS, we need birdie makers. We need guys who are going to get the scores that are low and aren't just going to, you know, get the – like I always say – Nine birdies and nine bogeys is better than 18 pars, right? And that's what, what Justin Thomas might give us. And you don't need him to even win the tournament, right? If Fino wins the tournament and you have Fino and Thomas and Thomas gets in the top five, that could be good enough for you to win and, and make a lot of money. So that's my thought process. You know he should be uh, good for um, scoring purposes on DraftKings. So it's a matter of is he going to find his form? You know, he did show up at the at the WGC at a tie for 15th. At the Genesis, he missed the cut. That was a really tough course, and that was the week that he lost his grandfather. So one of those, like, you give him a pass, and then now, you know, he's another one of those guys that feels like he's usually one of the top two or three guys we're talking about for a tournament. And I really haven't heard his name mentioned much. So I almost feel like I'm getting an ownership discount with him this week. Well, here's the thing. And, and I, I got to say this before I get into the ownership that I'm looking at, because some of the ownership projections on a, on a Monday or a Tuesday, depending on what site you go to, and, and honestly, I think this goes for a lot of sites, which is why we kind of wait until Wednesday night when Steven and his Palo Alto boys put put those out on, again, windailysports.com. And, and, and we've actually kind of done, we've gone back and done the math, and we've actually, you know, checked the receipts on Steven's ownership. And that's why he waits till Wednesday, because it's really, really on point. But with that, with all of that said, the preliminary ownership that I see for Justin Thomas is way higher than you or I would have ever thought. Honestly, it's beyond 20%, which if you compare that to really everybody else in the 9K range, 
That's number one outside of Patrick Cantlay from an ownership standpoint. So yeah. I think people are seeing what you're seeing, and I think they're seeing him like ha- having have like rebounded from the genesis a little bit. What's interesting is. The WGC, he was pretty bad off the tee rounds one, two, and three. Now he finally started gaining strokes off the tee in round four, which which is really good if you look, kind of look at like, okay, you know, we're making progress here, and he's been awesome on approach. So it looks like his game is actually rounding into form. So he's he's a good play. I I actually still think he's a little bit more risky than some of the guys I mentioned, but totally get his upside. You're right about the birdie making. You're looking for not finishing position necessarily. That's great, but you're looking for DraftKings scoring. And a guy like Bryson DeChambeau, who we mentioned, even when Bryson doesn't finish high, as long as he makes the cut, he just tears it up because he's making eagles. You know, he's he's making birdies and that's really what matters in DraftKings. So yeah, I think Justin Thomas would probably, and Bryson would probably be on that like sort of third or second tier of player in the 9K range, but I have absolutely no issue playing either of them. With that said, let me ask you this. Uh, is Patrick Reed, because he's he's low-owned. I mean, he's just going to be low-owned. Is is that guy, you, do you even bother throwing him in a, in a, in a GPP, or you're just going to stay away? There's too many other guys in the 9K range. Like I said, I'm, I'm lowering my standard for tournament history, but I'm not eliminating it. Uh, so if you want to just take out all the factors that come into play with Reed, his history here is not good. I mean, the best finish I've seen from him in the last five years is tied for 22nd. At this price, that's probably not going to cut it. Um, his recent form, he missed the cut last week. I mean, he, listen, he, he won the, the two tournaments ago at the Farmers. He won it. And then he had a tie for ninth at the WGC, and then he missed the cut. So his most recent form just doesn't look good. And I, there's a stat going around. I don't remember where I read it, but something along the line of the last 10 or 15 winners here had uh, finished in the top 20 of their last start. So unlikely he's going to win the tournament. And like I said, there's so many other good options up here. He's just one of the guys I have to get away from. Fair enough. And, and we have a question here that, that I probably should answer. Again, these are preliminary projections. And frankly, the ones I'm looking at are not Wind Daily ones, Scott. And, and we'll have Wind Daily ones tomorrow around 6 o'clock when Steven produces his numbers. But it looks like Dustin Johnson and it looks like Zan- – oh, no, Rory. It looks like Dustin and Rory are in that like 16, 17, 18% range. And it looks like Rom is like right under that by a couple percentage points. The lowest guy owned in that sort of elite tier is going to be Xander Shoffley. I think I can pretty much say that with with confidence. He's going to be five or six uh, percentage points lower owned than, than those three guys. But it looks like DJ's reasonably popular. I mean, I'm not going to say he's, he's as much chalk as a guy like Patrick Cantlay seems to be or even – a Tony Finau or a Justin Thomas, because those guys are also going to be popular. But again, these are preliminary. We'll have, um, at Wind Daily, we'll have better numbers tomorrow. So this 8K range, Joel, this is where I, I just don't know what to do. Like the first few lineups I've made, and I've made plenty of lineups already, um, a lot of them skip this range altogether, okay? And, and, and it's easy for me to do that because I want to grab maybe three guys in the 9K range or maybe two guys and, or maybe a guy in the 10K range and, and the 9K range. And if I skip the 8K range, I can fit a lot of those high 7K guys that I was just sort of like talking about that I, that I really like that we'll get to. So, but, but the, you know, I think everybody sees this 8K range and kind of, kind of might see the same thing. So I don't want to avoid it altogether. I, I want to get some ownership leverage in this 8K range because I think you're probably getting some. With that said, I'm just not, I'm just not excited about any of these guys. I mean, I'm, I'm, t- I'm going to take a second look at Matthew Fitzpatrick and Terrell Hatton. 
I don't know if I want to jump aboard the, the, the Jordan Spieth train with all this water on this course. I don't know if I if I really believe in Hideki Matsuyama. I know what he shot last year at the same tournament, but his ball striking hasn't been very good. In the last couple of tournaments that he's done well, he's actually done well with a short game, which I, I can't lean on. So, I, you know, Daniel Berger's interesting to me. Uh, who's jumping out at you here? So, yeah, again, I, I'm – this is another one where some of these guys we just are going to have to fade because there's a lot of good options in this range. So I'm not, I wouldn't be upset with you for playing Berger. It just doesn't make my player pool, but more just because there's other guys I like. I, and there's a lot to like about Berger too. So if you wanted to play him, that would be something I would have no problem with. Um, I'm with you on Hideki. He's just – I haven't seen the recent form uh, that, that we've seen from him in past years that makes me want to go to him this week. Um the guys I like here, I think one guy that's interesting, I think he's a little overpriced, which is scaring me a bit. But Scotty Scheffler, right? If we, if we wanna if we wanna prioritize recent form, I mean, he has it. He was fifth at the WGC, twentieth and seventh. So his recent form is there. The ball striking is there. No tournament history to speak of. So that's a little bit of a negative here. Um, the, you could say that there's an advantage to the guys who have played tall grass before and and know and have a good feel for it. If it's your first time here, it might. Play, be a little bit more difficult, kind of a similar in vain to the Masters, right? You usually don't want to play, target guys who are their first time playing the Masters. So um, that's a little thing that scared me off, and, and his price tag is a little higher than I would have liked to see in Scotty Scheffler, but that could be a good thing, right? That could mean everyone else is seeing the same thing, and you get him at the, at the ownership discount. I actually do like Spieth this week. I think what we're seeing with Spieth is – He's found a way to not make his bad driving hurt him, right? He's still not a great driver. He's not gaining strokes off the tee or anything. But what he's not doing is he's not putting himself in dangerous positions, right? I think maybe where he's matured, what's what's advanced about his game is I think he's probably playing the fact that I know I'm not good off the tee, and so let me just not put myself in danger and, and win elsewhere. And that's what he's been doing the last few weeks, and it's been working. I mean, his his short game's magical, right? He, he can get – he gets, puts it within a few feet of the hole from anywhere, you know, within 100 yards. Um, and his, his ball striking has been as good as we've seen him strike the ball in, in, a, in a long time. So uh, I think we're seeing a recent form with Jordan that we haven't seen in a long time. And at this price, right, this is a guy who's, at, who's capable of playing as good as anyone in the tournament. So when we're looking at, you know, is there a big difference between Jordan and Rory right now? If I can get $2,000 saved and I can play Spieth uh, and build around that, then, then that's what I'm going to do. So, um, yeah, so I, I like Jordan a lot. And, and to round out this um, this range, uh, the last two guys that I'll even mention are Hatton. Hatton's a guy who, you know, often, more often than not, is in that top range, right? He's right below your DeChambeau. He's the fifth or sixth price guy. So it's a loaded field. There's a reason for it. But his ball striking's there. Um, you know, his recent form for me is a mixed bag because I'm used to seeing him play better, right? It's, he hasn't been bad. He's been pretty good recently. But, like, it's 15. It's in the teens. I'm usually in the top 10. So I'm, I'm kind of wishy-washy in his recent form. But I just think the price discount, what you're getting, the type of golfer, your caliber golfer you're getting at this price is too good to, to ignore. And the last guy, more of a GP pay play than a cash play, is Jason Day. Jason Day is someone who does have the course history. Um, my concern with Day is his ball striking is not as great as I would have liked to have seen it. But every other metric that he has has been so good right now that it's just kind of like if he puts that – the, his, his approach number is up this week. If he finds that this week, everything else he's doing is so great that he can win this tournament. Yeah, uh, I could see that. And Adam Scott is in that range right next to Jason Day. Yeah. I'm curious. And any thoughts on him? Listen, of everyone in this field, he probably has the best tournament history. And you, 
hard to ignore that. So, you know, for me, he's going to be a small percentage of my lineups. I just don't like his recent form. I, I actually think he's a little bit over as a golfer, but this seems to be his favorite course. So, um, you know, you got to like someone who consistently does well here. He seems to like playing here. So I'll, I'll have a few shares of him, but I'm definitely not going to be overweight. Yeah, I think Terrell Hatton is really interesting. I mean, his again, there's a lot of guys here, including Jordan Spieth, that don't have good course history here, at least not in the last three, four years. I guess the, the argument for Jordan Spieth, though, is he hasn't been good in three or four years since 2017. So, you, I mean, you can kind of ignore his course history here. With Terrell Hatton, I mean, you're right. He, he does seem kind of underpriced because the way we looked at him two weeks ago, and it's not like he's been that bad. He's had a bad round here, here and there, but the way he came back, from a 77 to whatever he shot on Friday. I mean, it's it's actually really impressive. And and if this course, I mean, it's it's not an easy course. And, and he's the type of guy that can kind of, I think, grind out, you know, a top five or a top 10. So he's definitely on my radar. It's so weird for me to even consider Jordan Spieth because I have not been on this train for years. And it's like, oh my gosh, am I really going to come around now? I mean, there is value there. Exactly. I just wonder, man, the guy's hitting, Joel, he's hitting holes in, like, like a hole in one. Okay, let, let's just take that away. Does he still have a good tournament? I guess the answer is yes. But then he's drilling it from 35 feet. Like, I understand he's the best putter in the world, but like he had an 84 foot, nine inch putt. I think it was on Saturday, the, the same day as the hole in one. He came within maybe three centimeters of draining the putt. I mean, it was, you know, I'm watching it. And of course, I have no shares of speed. So I'm like just so frightened at how my lineups are being affected after the hole in one and after, you know, he chips out somewhere for, for a birdie. And then that putt happens. And, and just picture me like watching the TV and just watching that ball just slowly just get to what looks to be the center of the cup. And I'm li- literally by myself thinking to myself, like, is this really ha- can anybody be this good at the short game? It doesn't it seems video gameish to me. And I just wonder, can this be replicated? But to your point, maybe it doesn't need to be replicated. Maybe if he's 50 percent of that because he's being better off the tee and he's not killing himself off the tee, maybe it all kind of it all kind of evens out and he's just a top 10 golfer again in, in all the metrics. So I, I, this might be the first time I actually have some Jordan Spieth shares. I can't. And another that. thing to, and, and to credit him and, and a reason to play him is this week more than most, because of the course length, it's a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. I'm actually weighing around the green game more than I am off the tee and things like that. So if we're looking at this as, you know, all those long hitters who are really hitting all those fairways are getting neutralized with by speed because he won't be in – yes, there's water, which will hurt him, but he knows how to basically say, let's just not go in the water, right? He, he can just t- not take out his driver this week because it's not that long. He doesn't need to. Um, and then if he's going to gain a significant amount of strokes around the green, which is where the challenge is going to be here, that could be the, the difference in, in winning this tournament. So I think that almost plays to his strength this, this course, and this could be, an, be another reason why he might be a, a good play. Yeah, you're right. There, there will be a lot of clubbing down. He's not going to need to hammer it, which is obviously going to help him. Let's let's get to a few people in the chat. S guy, he is tried and true, a faithful listener, a faithful live listener, I should say. By the way, um, for everybody listening, if you haven't already rated the the podcast uh, on Apple, if you haven't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do so. I'm sure all of you have, but if you haven't, definitely five star review. Write a review if you can, but five stars is all you need. Tell your friends. Definitely helps. Um, look at this, Joel. Look at this. Oh. What is what is Michael Raziel doing? <laughs> what is he doing? I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this, but we miss you too, my friend. I, I hope uh, I, I hope I'm not doing so well doing the host gig that you know we don't need you next week. <laughs> um, there was a question Let, before we get to, and I think we're done with the 8K range. So before we get to that huge 7K range, uh, you know, I, to me. 
the question is for the people that are that are listening to the podcast what kind of bill would you build would you recommend for this week stars and scrubs or balanced um i'm leaning more towards balanced now first of all that balance might mean different things to different people. I'm just kind of wearing my lawyer hat here. But for me, balanced means a lot of 9K guys, maybe 9K guys, maybe dip your toe into the 10K range. But for me, it's more like 9K guys and high 7K guys, maybe 8K guys, so that I don't have to, like, maybe I'll go to the low sevens, but I really, in a single entry or maybe even a three max, I really, there's, I don't want to go into that 6K range. I kind of don't want to go into the low 7K range. I think there's guys I can lean on at the top that are low enough price-wise for me to get into that upper 7K range and or mid 7K range and, and stop it there. So for me, it's more balanced. I think if you're in a big tournament, obviously there's a lot. I mean, listen, there's a, Tyler Duncan is 6,000 or 6,100. I mean, this guy was second on approach last week. There's guy Cam Percy's a guy like there's plenty of guys that you can you can punt all you want, but just you got to keep in mind these are different type of punt plays than a regular tournament because this field is so stacked and it's so large. So a punt play in a 120 person tournament with only you know, 35 of the top 50 players or 31 of the top 50 players is a lot different from 47 of the top 50 with 154 player field. So you got to kind of keep that context in mind when you're considering a guy in the 6,500 range, for example. But that's a long answer. Joel, what do you think? No, I'm with you. The the build, it really feels like because it is not the, the reason for it is because there's so much good value in the high sevens and low eights that if you could round out six golfers with all guys in there, it's great. And you're still getting elite guys in the high eight, low nine range where you can get the winner of the tournament. So balance for sure. One exercise I challenge people to do is early, you know, I would often do this and, and I'm, I'm trying to improve myself is when you're built a lineup, right? And you put in, you know, your, your four, your five guys and you see how much money you have left. Then you just go and find the guy that will fit the last two salaries that are left. Right. And you're not really not maybe it may not be someone you were targeting. It's just that's how much money you have left. Right. I want to flip that. That's not how to play DFS, right? Because that one miss, if they, because that was how much you had left, ruins your whole lineup. So what I tell people is pick your player pool, whether it's 15, 20 golfers, narrow it down to 15 or 20 plays, You know, pull out one guy in each range, two guys in each range that you like the most, then build your lineups off of that player pool, right? It doesn't mean you even use your entire player pool. But what it does is it eliminates you getting the urge to just fill in whatever is the fit, the sixth spot because you got five guys you like. And that six spot will just be random and that kills you. So if you get your narrow down to 20, then you can start building around, you know, your player pool of 20 guys that you really like and make sure it's, you know, diversified by salary type. And then it'll be a lot easier for you to have success that way. So that's really good advice because I think a lot of people have like four or five guys in mind when they're making a lineup or three or four guys, whatever it is. And then they're like, oh, well, well, who fits at 7,300 here? And then they're like, oh, I, I heard about this guy on a podcast and there, there was some upside there. So like, I'll go ahead and throw him in. But like, he was never really in your original like conviction of plays. So it's really good advice. Like think of a player pool. Think of guys you, you, you don't have to like necessarily write it out or, or type out the players, but Think of the guys you actually want to roster. And if you're fitting in a guy because he fits price-wise, but you you didn't you didn't like him originally or you didn't like him enough originally to consider him in that in that player pool, you're doing it wrong. So what that means is you have to change something with those other four or five guys that you have. Just alter that a little bit to another guy that's like Joel said in your player pool and then 
instead of that 7,300, all of a sudden you have, you know, 7,700 and oh, wow, look, oh, I loved this guy. I can put him in there. So that's actually really good advice. And honestly, I think that's advice that almost no one heeds in the DFS community because they're just so stuck on, I want to get all these guys in the lineup. Let me just throw this guy, like hope and pray. I hope this guy. And then when he doesn't make it, you're like, oh, I never, I never liked that guy in the first place. What was I doing? Um, And another thing that does for you too is I often, often find, you know, I might be on 10 guys Typically, honestly, listen, I'm not so great that the number one and two guy that I'm on win the tournament are the best plays, right? But usually of my top 10, I'm good. some of those guys, maybe the fourth guy is going to do really well, right? So instead of just saying the first guy that came to mind that I like, I'm going to play, it makes me have to step back and say, okay, I did really like DJ. But the only way I'm getting six guys within my player pool is by coming down off DJ to female and enabling me to come up on this next player to get a full six guys in my 20-man player pool, and that's probably a better roster construction than leaving in DJ and praying with Cameron Percy as your last guy. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) Former secret weapon, Cam Percy. Um, So uh, we we actually um, hit with the secret weapon. It wasn't a big hit. I mean, he made the cut, of course. Uh, I think he had an eagle, maybe a birdie streak, but uh, that's 30 and four now, the secret weapon. So uh, stay tuned for Discord tomorrow. Speaking of Discord, we got this question here. Oh, by the way, Charlie says stash because i guess he saw the uh the michael raziel comment uh and this is a question so todd i don't have FanDuel pricing in front of me but if you want to type into the chat that the guys you'd consider in that 8700 range on FanDuel, please feel free and uh we'll tell you who we like and then of course charlie says that i don't have enough black shirts to take over the host game for michael I do, actually. It's sad, but true. I totally do, my friend. Um, Let's get to the 7K range. Let me start with this. I'll probably just go down to like 7,500. I may actually go down to 7,400 because I want to talk about Corey Connors for a second, but there's so much to like in this range. So you're you're really going to have to make a lot of decisions here. Much like you're you're having to make in the 9K range, you can't play everybody. Um, So in the 7K range, you're going to have to leave some guys you really like off your list. Guys that are jumping out at me, a couple of guys that I should mention, you know, that were jumping out at Patrick and, and Steven because we, we were chatting earlier in the week as well. Cam Smith, he's usually on my radar. Um, he, he's really like Patrick has an amazing stat on Cam Smith that he'll share probably in his article um, or in Discord. But he's really good against tough fields. The last like six tough fields he's faced, his DraftKings scoring is really, really impressive. We saw his recent form is really good. So I like Cam Smith. Tommy Fleetwood, I like a lot. I mean, Tommy Fleetwood looks to have finally found his iron game where he had kind of lost it before his course history here is good his price is good i think tommy fleetwood's a really smart play um will zalatoris what can we say about him the ball striking is great he, he, he manages to have like a couple average days here and there out of the four, but then he somehow sneaks into the top 10 or the top seven w- without any course experience. The guy is just a machine. So Will Zalatoris, he's still kind of finding his way, it seems, and yet still top 10 in every tournament. So I love him. Abraham Answer, I'm a little undecided on him. I do like his price. Um, and then let's stop at Corey Connors and then we'll do the rest of the 7K list. I want to get your opinion on Corey Connors because... A lot of times we see a guy in the mid 7K range or, you know, a guy of Corey Connors skill level and he did really well in one tournament. And we're like, well, he's Corey Connors. He's not going to do it back to back. But the reality is he's just such a good ball striker. And so that doesn't typically just go away. I mean, good putting might go away. He was a he's a pretty decent putter last week. But if I can lean on ball striking in a tournament like this, I feel like I have a guy that's going to make the cut with the requisite upside that we saw last week. So. You know, he is popular. It looks like he's going to be well over 10%, but 
still seems like a good play to me. Do you have thoughts on Corey Connors and then start off the 7K range for us? Yeah, so I'll say I normally never play Corey Connors. I'm not a a Corey Connors believer. Um, The ball striking is there. I see that, right? It's hard to ignore. And, yeah, it's hard to get away from this week, right? At this price, in this field, getting a guy who's going to grade out as one of the better ball ball strikers in the entire field um, at – and a guy who's coming, he's typically not a great putter who, you know, found something putting last week. Um, I think you're right. I think it's a really good play, especially with the thought process around, you know, we want to get six cut makers, right? And so Corey Connors is the opposite of like, hey, let me just take a shot on somebody that's going to be low owned that might help me win a GP. Corey Connors is the one that's saying, I'm going to get six cut makers and I'm going to cash. And he could, he has the upside to get you a top 10 and win a tournament. Um, but he's also pretty safe in that he should help you to compete as well and, and not kill you. So, yeah, I, I like Corey Connors a lot this week. Upper 7K range, starting at 7,900. Who are some guys that you're going to be leaning on? Listen, the, the the hard thing about this week, especially from a GPP perspective, is that, you know, see, I'm one of the guys you just named, right? And so is everyone else. These guys are mispriced, maybe because the field's loaded. It feels like they're mispriced. They're normally priced higher, but maybe because the field's so loaded, they are actually accurately priced. Um, but we're getting guys that we would normally see in the high eights, low nines, in the mid sevens, which is why we're able to build out these really well-rounded rosters. So we see that everyone else is seeing that these the ownership on these guys. I have to imagine, like I'm on all the same guys that you just said, it's going to be really high. That's the GPP issue this week. There's probably a player pool of 25 people out there that the whole world is on, and I have to imagine they're going to be over 15% owned. And how is that going to shape out when uh, at the end on Sunday? when there's 100-something thousand people in a big tournament that, you know, how many people are on the same guy? So that's what my concern is. So if you want to you know, go through the, the guys I'm trying to get this range, I think maybe one guy you didn't mention that I'm on is Joaquin Neiman, who is striking the ball really well. He's playing, I think. He he could have been pricing the high eights, and we wouldn't have blinked an eye. So he's another one uh, who, who I really like. Um, Neiman doesn't have a course history, but his recent form has been really good. I think an interesting one from a GPP perspective, if you want to get different – because uh, he burned everyone last week. Is oh, I know where you're going. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, no one's going to go back to that well. He burned you. You lost all your money. I'm not playing this guy again. You can say the same thing with Justin Rose, too. I mean, he, he played but kind of pulled out of the tournament. Um, but, you know, there was a lot to like about Louis going into last week. Right? He was doing a lot of things really well. It's unfortunate what happened. I can't imagine that blunder will happen again. right? If he, It sounds like if he's still in the player pool by tomorrow night, he's going to play. Uh, and we liked what we saw out of him. His recent form is there. So uh, I don't know how hard he is. I don't have that information, unfortunately. But if you are someone who's playing a big tournament, that could be a good way for you to get different, especially because we know who the high ownership guys are going to be. Yeah, makes sense. Anybody else in like uh, Abraham Answer, for example, you, any opinions on him? So Answer I like. Um, the breaking point for me on answer is going to be ownership percentage. So if he gets to a point where it looks like it's going to be close to 20 or 15, over 15% in a GPP, that's how I'm playing. It just, it's hard to get over shared on, on someone over 15% who's not like DJ, right. Who's not like a pretty much a lock. So um, I'm going to be waiting on ownership percentage. If I see him coming below 12%, 10%, I'm going to be playing him. I like him. I think another interesting one for this week is Billy Horschel. So Billy disappointed a little bit last week, but let's not forget, last week was tough. I mean, um, it's not an excuse, right? Tough course, but I don't think this week is going to be that tough. I think we're going to see lower scores. And if you want to just look at it this way, Billy seems to be a guy that plays better um, on easier courses. 
Uh, he does really well in courses where there's low scoring. When it's a tough course, I'm not sure that's his thing. So he didn't make the cut last week. I think we're going to get an easier course this week. Um, nothing has changed in that. You remember when the Florida one started, Billy thrives in the Florida room. He's went to college in Florida. He loves the Bermuda greens. Like all that is still true. And this is what we're getting here. So he, he missed the cut on a tough course last week. I don't think that means everyone should get off of him. I think he's still playing really well. I think he's a good, and she would be, you know, when you're looking at Zalatoris, Neiman, Anser, uh, Fleetwood, those are going to be the, the really high ownership guys. I don't think Billy will be as highly owned, and I think he's pretty much as talented as those guys. Yeah, that's fair. You're definitely going to pick up ownership leverage there. As I go down to to the low 7K range, let me just mention a couple guys. Like, I don't really want to live here. I want to live in the range that we just talked about. But a couple guys kind of jump out at me. I mean, Kevin Na, if you want to pick up ownership leverage, I think is a, is a pretty decent play. He should be a good course fit here. Um, Ryan Palmer. He's, he's one of those guys that can sink your lineup or just completely make your lineup. His course history here and his just course, his recent history in general, it's like he finishes top 10 or he finishes like 40th or he misses the cut. It's just one of those things. If you want to take that gamble, it's a decent GPP gamble, not something you want to force in cash. Cameron Tringali, I mean, I'm a truther. I know uh, Sticks Picks is, is a truther as well. He was on him last week. I think he's on him this week. We'll find out on the uh, Better Golf podcast because I think that's being recorded today with um, at Tee Off Sports with Spencer Aguiar. That'll that'll drop tomorrow. But uh, I think he's a I think it's a good price. He's he's typically great on approach, and I, I consider this an approach second shot golf course. So I, I like. And by the way, the approach shots won't be quite as long. I mean, the, there will be plenty of long approach shots, but not as many of them as last week. And I, and I don't think Tringali graded out really well in that 175 to 200 plus range. So while there's still going to be those approach shots here, there's not quite as many of them. So I think that favors a guy like Cameron. Um, the one guy I want to ask you about, by the way, I don't think I'll be on Christian, uh, Christian Bezedenhut, but I, I do think he's a, he's a pretty good play. Maybe I'll have one or two lineups with him. But the one guy I wanted to ask you about that has really been good, at least playing in Europe, and was really good last week, and is only 7,200, any love for Lee Westwood? So it is funny. I, I actually like Lee Westwood. I'm a fan of his, and I, I liked him a lot last week when everyone was kind of saying, fade him, he's not going to scrimmage road. I, I played him. Um so as someone saying this as someone who typically does like Lee Westwood, I am not going back to him this week. The reason for it is there's better options, in my opinion. Like I, Lee Westwood is the type of guy I like to target in a field like last week where he didn't have every big superstar. You know, one or two guys didn't play well. It was a tough course. You know, he just struck the ball really well all week, was consistent, didn't mess up, and was right there on Sunday. I don't think this course will play like that. I think you're going to need to make some really difficult shots and, and score really low. And I don't think this is the type of course that would be that he would excel at. So um, as someone who normally would want to play him, I'm not going to be having too many shares of Lee Westwood this week. Um, but down this range, I think I'm definitely with you on Trent Gal. I mean, it, it's been a, now it's been a, over a month of him consistently ball striking really well in this price range. Um, you know, he's, he's definitely a really strong play Palmer as well. Two guys that you didn't mention this range that I'm on, uh, less so Sam Burns. So Sam Burns missed the cut last week. I think that's ter- turning some people off to him, but let's not forget he was third before that. He had a good run at, at, um, at AT&T. He did well at the Waste Management. He's on a pretty good streak. Missing the cut at Alan Palmer is a really tough course. It's not something I hold against people. Right? If you if you miss a couple cuts in a row, fine. Right now he's on a great run. He missed the cut at a really tough course. I think it's I think it's safe to go back to him um, here where, where he can do it again. Not, no course history. So he's got to rely on his ball striking metrics, which which is what I'm doing here. 
And the other one who I like even more, one of my, my favorite plays in this range is Lanto Griffin. Uh, you know, he is really just – his ball striking is there. His recent form, I mean, he's top 26 at least in the last four tournaments, a seventh four weeks ago. He's consistently showing up. So especially from the thought process of let's at least just cash and make money, and he's I think it's, he's pretty safe this low to get someone who should make the cut and compete. Um, and I, I think he's, he's good enough to get into the top – 10 or 15 and be in the winning lineups as well. Yeah, I'm going to agree on both of those, Lanto and Sam Burns. I think Sam Burns probably carries a little bit more upside and and maybe just as much ownership leverage because you're right, he did burn some people last week. And, and because his name is Sam Burns and not you know, a high-end guy that missed the cut, a, a lot more people will be off of him. So, yeah, I think Sam Burns is, is super smart. I'll have him in a couple lineups. So that, that rounds out the 7K range for me. So let me start off with some of the guys in the 6K range. So I don't want to spend too much time here because I just spent a lot of time saying, hey, I don't really think you should be living in this range. But there's certainly, like maybe in a 20 max or 150 max, there's certainly the guys that feel free to take a shot on because they're really good golfers. Like there are really good golfers down here. It's just I'm like in a single entry or a three max. I'm just not going to be going here. I'll tell you what, though. I did my 200, like the same tournament where I came in 20th, uh, the $200 single entry. I made a lineup Sunday. These prices came out Friday, right? Because the prices came out early, which, by the way, is why Bryson DeChambeau is priced how he is. He would be priced in the 10K range if they had actually waited till Monday like they normally do. So I suppose you're getting a discount there, right? But I hit my first lineup, and I'm not going to change it because I like the lineup so much. Um, it included a 6K guy in there, and I'm not going to tell you exactly who it was, but I am going to discuss the 6K guys in here, so you can kind of like draw whatever conclusion you want. What, what day was it? So I want to make sure I can say I can figure it out based on the day you put it. Yeah, it was Sunday that I made the lineup. Okay, early after the after Sunday's round or before the round? It was it was during the round, I believe. Okay. All right. So draw your draw your conclusions. Um, okay, so let, let's start it off. Ryan Moore, I think, is really interesting because he missed a ton of cuts in a row, but he actually found some form the last time he was out. And, and honestly, he's typically a really good ball striker. I'll, I'll take a look at his recent form. I'm not looking at it right now, but Ryan Moore is just a, kind of a solid, I think, really sneaky player that's going to be extremely low owned. I mean, I know everybody in the 6K range is generally pretty low owned, but I think Ryan Moore is a sneaky play. Charlie Hoffman, 6,800. He, I've been on him for a couple of weeks now, and he's paid off every time. He, he, you know, I even had him, I think, in a matchup last week, and he, he paid off there too. So Charlie Hoffman is really striking the ball well. So 6,800, I think you're getting a bargain for him. Emiliano Grillo is a guy I've been on for quite some time. I mean, honestly, like a year now. He's just a good ball striker. What's interesting about Grillo, though, his approach game hasn't been that good if you look at the last like 24 rounds or so, last four or five tournaments actually. But it started to his approach game started to look pretty good last week. His off the tee game has looked consistently really good so if that ball striking kind of in a, he's one of my write-ups in the initial picks that ball striking is there he, he's going to make the cut so uh, I like him Matthew Naismith I think is interesting to go back to um, he burned a lot of people and anytime that happens I think you're picking up some good ownership leverage with a good golfer that again we just liked a week ago I'll go really quick through the rest of the guys James Hahn He's a guy I kind of have an affinity for. I don't think he's a great play. I think he's a decent GPP play because nobody will be on him. But don't forget, at the waste management, he was on the back nine with a three-shot lead. So the upside is there. It's not it's not there often, but it's there. So I like James Hahn. Richie Wierenski, you know, you might think I'm chasing points. He's only 6,400. He was awesome last week, particularly good with the short game. But Richie Wierenski's made five cuts in a row. And his last two tournaments here, I believe 2019 and 2018, 47th and 23rd. So he's comfortable here. 
He's made five cuts in a row, and he competed. I think what did he finish? Top five last week? Fourth? I'm, you know, I'm. So this is a guy again that you know I, I hate to chase points, but I, I think he's solid. And then I'll just go right down to Tyler Duncan and Cam Percy. Tyler Duncan sixty one hundred, Cam Percy six thousand. I don't love them. I mean, this is a stacked field. They 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 probably won't show up you know anywhere near the top twenty. But Tyler Duncan was great on approach last week. He's typically pretty accurate with his driver. Good on approach. Um, not not too much not to like when you consider the the range he's in. And Cam Percy, former secret weapon. He's a just a solid ball striker, and he might grind his way to a cut. Not much upside with Cam Percy, though. Yeah, no, I, I like I like I like a lot of the guys that you mentioned. That sounds a lot like the, the guys I'm targeting. Uh, I want to just kind of touch on a few guys that that you didn't mention in this range. I'm going to start from the bottom of my pool, from from the lowest salary, and work my way up. Um, and I think someone that's really interesting. I, I wonder what his ownership percentage will get to. Is Andrew Putnam? So Andrew Putnam's coming out back to back top fives. So you want to talk about recent form at someone you're getting at sixty three hundred dollars in this field? Um, I think that's just a really good a good bargain. In addition to that, uh, something that I'm seeing, and maybe I'm a little bit different, I'm really overvaluing. I think around the green game this week. I think these are some challenging courses. Guys aren't good. They're small greens. It's going to be tough to get it on from a distance. So guys who are able to gain some gain an advantage and gain strokes around the green. Should I think have an edge, and that's what he is, right? Putnam's an around-the-green guy. Short game's lights out, and he's kind of one of those ones. If he can avoid mistakes off the tee um, and then score well around the green, I think he could have a really good week. So um, I think that he's also a good way for you to get different. There's a few other guys down here that I'm going to mention. For the most part, being honest, I'm trying to avoid this 6K range as much as I can. So we're going to have a few plays here, some guys to think about. But for the most part, we're not trying to spend too much time in the 6K range because – Likely uh, not great guys to target. I'm gonna, I'll go back to Naismith as well, like like Sia said. Uh, and, and the reasoning was perfect, right? He missed a cut last week. People got off him. He's been one of the most elite ball strikers um, on the tour over the last couple months. Um, and if you're thinking that he hasn't completely lost that and that will come back, he could compete this week and be a top 15 play at this price range. You know, I think we're, we're definitely getting a steal. Uh, I love Grio as well. Um, Grio feels like he's a little bit underpriced here coming off. A 21st and an 11th, where he has also has a course history, where his last three times out, he was in 11, 37, and 26. Uh, there's a lot to like about Agrio this week. And Luke List, um, you know, List last two times out, not great form. So for this course, you're not sure if that's one you want to target, but you know he can strike the ball with the best of them. Uh, and in this price range, and this is really low, the 6,700 is really cheap for a guy who's capable of, of really, you know, getting up in the top 20. So, um, I think that'll round it up. I'll throw in Brandon Steele as well. Um, Brandon Steele has a top six at this tournament three years ago. He was 18th last week. He's made five cuts in a row. It's six is $6,700. Uh, that's what you need in the six year Yeah, Brandon Steele is one of those guys that's just always underappreciated. So I, I think that's a that's a super smart play. And Andrew Putnam's a smart play too. It's funny because he is so low price wise, but to your point about ownership, it's looking like five six percent, which is super high for that range. But it's not super high for your lineup. It's still five or six percent. So it's not like you're, it's not chalk in the in the true sense, in my opinion. But um, people are noticing, and Andrew Putnam is definitely. Um, He's been legit. So, okay, so we're done with the DFS portion. I, I know I have outrights in first-round leaders. Joel, do you have any is the question. Of course. Let's get into it. All, right. all right. All right. So why don't you start with outrights, then I'll go, and then we can go to the first-round leaders. Okay, let's do that. So for, for this week, um, do we want – so I guess I, we'll do a little bit of both, right? I think realistically the, the winners 
going to have to come from the top. There's too loaded of, in my opinion, I could be. Yeah, I agree with you. It's too loaded of a field um, to, I think, start chasing our 100 to 1 odd bets this week. And those guys, maybe if you want to take those guys for top fives or tens, that I could get up behind, but there's too many of the top guys here where I don't want to take any 100 to 1 shots. So if we want to find value, we can still find value, but finding value for me this week is targeting guys that are maybe 55 to 1. For example, Cameron Smith. Uh, I think CM made some really good points about Cameron Smith, right? He thrives in, in tough competition. We've seen him have some really great finishes recently at 55 to 1. Uh, I think that's a really, a really good, a smart target, especially someone that seems to be getting overlooked uh, considering the strength of the field. Um, another one at 70 to 1, I just feel like the odds are a little bit too low for him for the way he's been playing is Will Zalatoris. Uh, Will Zalatoris, we haven't seen him win anything yet, but he's striking the ball as well as anybody. So basically, for if he has a hot week with the putter, he can absolutely win this tournament. So at 70 to 1, those are really good odds. Uh, I like all of those. Before I get to my outrights, I just wanted to read this question here. Uh, it says, you think some of these guys who played well last week, all four days, will they be more fatigued than the rest of the field? Like maybe be slightly cautious or are they such pros they will be okay? I'll give my opinion first on this. Um, I think they'll be okay. I mean, I, I think if you have a guy like Max Homa, who I believe is playing his eighth tournament in a row, I think that's something to maybe look at. Um that's got to be like slowly fatiguing. But again, uh, yeah, I, I understand your point. It was a tough course. There were a couple tough days. They were playing for four days, but uh, I really have no worries there. In fact, I'd probably prefer a guy that played last week than a guy who's coming off like a one or two week break, personally. Joel, what I think is interesting is, is, her, is the follow-up question, which is, is it rare to win back-to-back? And that's the better question because for mm-hmm. me, um, it is. It's rare. It's not impossible. That doesn't mean you can't play the winner of a tournament for the next week. By no means does that mean that. But I do agree. I, I actually do tend to not fade, but play less a guy that's won a tournament because they're probably not coming in as hungry and motivated. They just got paid big. They've been celebrating all week, right, with a big check and their friends and what have you. So um, I would say I would lower my ownership percentage of someone who's coming off of a win. And, and Bryson this week, I actually don't think is a great course fit. So uh, I'm not going to completely fade him, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to be too high on on Bryson coming off a win. Fair enough. And uh, we got it with a question from S guy here or, or a comment. Wierenski sounds like the secret weapon. He is not going to be the secret weapon. Good guess. He was one of the original secret weapons. Uh, Discord tomorrow. We've got so many articles coming out tomorrow afternoon and tomorrow night too. WindailySports.com. Um, so, oh, this is a lineup. I didn't even see this here. All right. Uh, before I get to my outrights, a uh, little contrarian, Rom Hovland, Neiman Zalatoris, Connors Kirk. I mean, first of all, if you're calling that contrarian, I don't think it really is um, at all. I-, I think Kirk might be slightly contrarian in the sense that he's not going to carry, you know, probably more than five, six percent. But that looks like a pretty like chalky lineup. I don't I don't hate it as a chalky lineup as long as it's not in a huge uh, like single entry. I mean, it's not as long as it's not in a huge tournament. If it's in a smaller single entry, uh, I don't really have. A problem with it because as as chalky as like Neiman and Zalatoris and and Rom well and Connors might be you're still probably going to be different versus a field of a thousand. Joel, what, what do you think? Yeah, I, I don't think it's contrarian. I think it's going to be pretty highly owned, but it's a good lineup. It's I, I want all those guys, so I, I think it's a good strong lineup. Don't over listen. Yes, GPPs. You can't play all the chalky guys because that doesn't make sense. But don't overweight that because the last thing you want to do is put out a lineup of. That's the winning lineup, and then change it because you thought it'd be too highly owned, right? So, 
if 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 that's the lineup you really like, yes, it's probably going to be highly owned. But if you like it, roll with it. Could be a good. It looks like a good lineup. Yeah, I totally agree. I wouldn't change a thing as, unless it was like a two hundred and fifty thousand person or you know a fifty thousand person or entry tournament. Then I think you might want to consider pivoting off one of those guys. Um, all right, so my outrights. I'll be quick about this. I, I agree with you. I don't really have any uh, many by way of long shots. I had I threw Charlie Hoffman in there because one hundred and twenty five to one sounded fun. But I'll go from furthest to, to least from uh, from an odds perspective. Adam Scott at eighty to one. I don't love him in DraftKings, but again from a value betting standpoint, 80 to one with a guy with this type of course history, if he finds the ball striking, like we know Adam Scott has had before, 80 to one's a nice number there. Cam Smith, 55 to one, you, you touched on that. Tommy Fleetwood, 45 to one. I think that's a pretty good number for Tommy Fleetwood. Um, and then as we go down the shorter odds, Terrell Hatton, 35 to one. He's talented. And if he's hot, he can beat anybody in this field. And then finally, the last one, Victor Hovland at 28 to one. Uh, I don't really love that one. I wish it was 35 to 1, but Victor Hovland is one of the best ball strikers in this field, like period. So 28 to 1 is a decent number. I actually I like that a lot. My, my biggest advice for, for betting outrights this week is take like the range of guys that we're giving you at 35 to 1 and up. If you like one of the favorites, you're you're you'll likely be able to get them in not too much of worse of odds unless they have a four-stroke lead heading into Saturday. If they're competing, you'll, you'll get them at plus 600 or 700 going in. And you're probably better off just taking it in knowing that they're competing. So that's what I would recommend. If you want to take one of the top guys, wait till Saturday to take it. Uh, if you're going to take a guy like, you know, Hovland or one of those guys, if they're in the top five going in, then those odds are going to come way up. So those are the guys you got to take now. Yep, that totally makes sense. All right, first round leaders, what you got? So first round leader, now we can get fun, right? So first round leader is well where we can, listen, you don't have to – you can do well day one and not win the tournament. So uh, these guys, we can, we can get a little bit of longer odds. Um, I'm going to kind of scroll all the way down. I think one guy that could be interesting, it's – you know, we're not – we didn't mention him at all in the DFS portion is Francisco Molinari, right? So he doesn't have the recent form, but what he does have is a good course history. So he's done well here before. You know, not too far long ago he did have – like he's got like three top tens this year. So he's kind of like an off and on. And his odds for first round leaders a hundred to one. This is a guy that can like compete with the best of them. I mean, he's been worse the last year or two than we were accustomed to seeing him. But we've seen him get three top tens this year, so he, we've seen that form recently. We know he likes this course, and hundred to one just seems like too much for Francisco Molinari. So um, I think that's just a really good odds, a, a really good value that we're finding um, kind of down here for, for the first round leader bet. Another interesting one, a guy that's a, a a f- I don't know. Do we call him a friend of the show? Someone that we always mention, uh, that we're always bringing up, Henrik Norlander, right? I don't think he's going to win this tournament, but at 125 to one for him to have the best first round, he's still playing pretty well. His recent form is, is here. I think people from a DFS perspective are off of him because he wasn't great last week, but he's been good before that. Uh, and, and I certainly think he can show up for, for one day. So, uh, those will be my two long shots for this week. Yeah, Norlander, if, if he can find the putter, if he can find a hot putter, he can be a first-round leader. We've seen him near the top of leaderboards on day one before, so uh, I don't mind that. You know, He kind of disappointed me. It, it almost felt like he sort of gave up Saturday and Sunday. I know he didn't really actually give up, but there was so little scoring coming because actually Norlander was on the 6-for-6 six six team that 
didn't finish in 20th place. It, it like cashed, but it was, you know, it was kind of like a guard. It was like 200 entry. I think I made a hundred, I netted a hundred dollars on the, on, but Norlander, like he just didn't score Saturday and Sunday. So you're right. People will be off him. I think that's a decent first round leader play. Um, all right. So here are mine. I'm going to break some news in a second. So this is exciting. Everybody buckle up. Um, let's start with some, some lower odds. Webb Simpson, 40 to one. I, I just, I just think Webb Simpson's a good course fit. If this number was thirty to one, it wouldn't be fun for me. But forty to one is just high enough for me to be like, oh yeah, that's kind of fun. You know, I can put five bucks on that for two hundred bucks. I can put ten bucks on that for four hundred. Like that's still like a very fun sweat. So Webb at forty, Cam Smith at sixty-six to one. So not only do we think Cam Smith might be good this weekend, but he shows up near the top of leaderboards on day one often. And I know that because I bet him first round leader quite a bit since the winter break and he's been good. So I think 66 to one is decent. Again, these are first round leader bets. So it's not like, you know, I'm not, I'm not pretending like these are going to be like, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a hit, but 66 to one is a good number there. Ryan Palmer, 90 to one, because we always take Ryan Palmer when, when it's a first round leader time. And honestly, he can get hot. 90 to one's a decent number. Alex Noren, I just, that was like a hunch play. Honestly, I haven't even really looked at Alex Noren's um, metrics as much as I need to, to even to even know if he's a good DFS play. He's one of the few guys that I've sort of ignored so far. But 125 to 1, Alex Noren can really get going. He's just one of those guys that's, you know, you're looking on Saturday and he's like near the top 20. You're looking on Friday and he's in the, he's in the top 10 because he's ha- having a, a great day. So Alex Noren at 125 to 1. And then here's the breaking news. I know, but I, I feel like I like... The Alex Noren call is just kind of a whatever call because I, I don't really have much to, to back that up. But the other ones seem good to me. But here's the breaking news. All right. This guy is 66 to 1. We've already talked about him. He finished 10th last week. Looks like he's finding the iron game. Finally. The last two years here, 5th and 7th. 5th and 7th. So the course history is there. He's comfortable here. He's finding his ball striking game. And on Tuesday night at 9.12 p.m., I'm telling you that on Thursday night, your first round leader for this tournament, the players, is none other than, are you ready? Are you sitting down? Tommy Fleetwood at 66 to 1. Take the bet right now. It's easy money. It's definitely going to cash. I want you to go to your to your significant other if you have one and tell her you need to empty out the checking account, the savings account, because Tommy Fleetwood is definitely going to be first round leader. Be responsible, put everything you have on it. Right, Joel? You should mortgage your home 100%. You don't want to yep. You don't want to look back after he's the first round leader and think that you didn't mortgage your home and put all that money on it. So See, that's you're just being logical. We're just okay. being smart with your money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the breaking news. Tommy Fleetwood will be your first round leader at the Players' Championship, 66 to one, great number. Um, Joel, it looks like we have a question here before we get out of here. Thoughts on GPP, Vandal, Scott, Putnam, Fleetwood, Zal, Hav, Simpson. I like that lineup quite a bit. Yeah, that looks good. You're going down in that in that low 6K range, but you have good reason to with Putnam. Um, Joel gave you the kind of the, the stats on him. So uh, we, we got we got a hater in the house and he's, he's part of the Wind Daily team. Stobia, I don't know. I don't know about you right now, but listen, I'll be honest with you. A few weeks ago, I would have given the same reaction to Tommy Fleetwood, but the ball striking appears to have finally showed up. And when his ball striking is right, and this is kind of a ball striking course, you're, you're going to be in really good shape. So you know, it's again in DFS, he's 7,900. So, um, I'll, I'll ask you this before I ask you if you have any parting words, Joel. Who's winning this tournament? It's a, it's a good question. Uh, I feel bad because I feel like this is like the cop out answer, but I, I think Dustin Johnson's winning the tournament. All right. 
I, I, you know, I wish I had already come up with a player before I asked you that question because now I have to answer it. <laughs> I, I think I'm debating between Colin Morikawa and John Rahm. Okay. And I am going to go with, I'm going to go with John Rahm, even though I don't think I'm going to be super overweight on him in DFS. I just have a feeling the, I mean, the ball striking's there and outside of the 32nd at the WGC, he's been really good. Fifth before that, 13th, seventh, 12th here last year. I just think it might be, it's not, not a lot behind this, but I think it might be John Rahm's time. I actually like the the thought process strategy of, like, I think that makes sense, right? His price and salary is, is a little high, so I mean, it doesn't make sense for your DFS lineup. But hey, you like him, so bet him outright. If he wins the tournament, you still win. And if he if he doesn't win the tournament, then your DFS lineup's too well. So there's a win-win, right? So I, I like that thought process. And, and furthermore, if, if you don't take him outright on Thursday, you can always do what I did with DJ when he was nine strokes back um, after the restart, and all of a sudden he was 80 to 1. And I hit that. So it's like, wait, if you like one of these top guys, don't don't take it now. Just wait for them, like Joel said earlier, wait for them to fall a little bit and get better odds. Um, that's it, Joel. I, I think I think that's the show. Any any parting words for the players? Listen, good luck. This is gonna be a fun week, right? This is a this is a fun week for DFS. There's the best tournaments on DraftKings, the loaded field. Um, you know, make sure you, you play right. We're giving you the plays, but but this is this is gonna be fun. So good luck, everyone. Um, did we miss Michael? I think we missed Michael. I kind of missed Michael. I, I talked a lot. Yeah. All right. Michael, we're going to let you back. We're going to, I think we're going to let you back on the show next Tuesday night. Um, everybody, if you haven't already downloaded or I should say subscribe to the um, Better Golf podcast, that better is spelled B E T T O R, Better Golf podcast. Check that out. It's going to, the, the next episode is going to drop tomorrow. It's Spencer Aguiar, it's Nick Brettwish. They're really good at what they do. And a lot of their picks, I think, are going to coincide with uh, what we talked about today. It'll give a little bit more reinforcement to how you should build your DFS lineups and how you should be betting this golf tournament if you are, uh, if you so choose. But that's our show. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next Tuesday night. And the one last parting word, of course, is... Sports. Sports. <laughs> nice. <laughs>